Actually, when you say classical, it's it's already in there. You don't have to. It's not an additive. This education was fundamentally Christian before that. It taught truth, goodness, and it taught beauty. And those things come from God. And it taught about human nature in the Christian view. And it was trying to form students along those lines. Welcome to Classical Etc. You're in the studio with Shane Saxon. Welcome to another episode of Classical Etc. I'm flanked on both sides by Flank. Martin Catherine That's an interesting and Paul picture. Schaefer. And I feel vulnerable. And unfortunately, I guess I'm on your left if, yeah. if we're separating. Well, Martin came to me earlier today and he asked, may I sit at your right hand? <laughs> but uh, For the record, that is not true. <laughs> so the conversation for today is I want to ask you gentlemen to help me with some semantics that I've been dealing with. And that is, what is the difference between the terms the, a liberal arts education and a classical education? And how do these expressions relate? But before we get there, we've been very busy. At least I have been <laughs> traveling and I've been reading. I have been, but I haven't made any significant progress. So I wanted to take an opportunity to ask a slightly different question. Martin, have you watched any good movies recently? Uh, the answer is no, but okay. I can tell you what I saw. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, well, the last... The Ten okay, Commandments so, by Charl- with Charlton Heston? The Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston? Uh, no, I haven't seen that one in a while, okay. but I've watched okay. it many times in my life. <laughs> um, so I... I uh, I always take my my uh, stepmother to a movie when I go out to visit her in California, which I do several times a year. And so I always try to find something good. And I, my choices have been really pretty pristine. I mean, I have oh. I had some great the 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 uh, the newest Avatar movie I thought was absolutely stupendously good. Um, that that was that was wonderful. I've seen a number of you know great great. But then I'm trying to because it's hard to figure out. Before you see a movie, you look at the reviews and for, for movies, it, or maybe for certain kinds of movies, you can't trust the reviews. Certain kind of books, you can't trust the reviews. Like if you go on, on like, like I've just noticed, not that I read these, but like romance novels, they're all like nine out of 10. Sure. There's no, there's no, there's no, there's no. Seven, nine or ten. If it gets a six out of ten, yeah. it's like science, that is a terrible. Science work. fiction is the same way. Fantasy mm. is the same way. They're all like you can't judge the ratings around those mm-hmm. the other genres. You can. Well, I'm thinking maybe super superhero movies have the same mm. problem in terms of judging from reviews mm. whether they're good. So I took her to see The Flash. The Flash. The Flash. Wow. <laughs> it was the well, there's no there wasn't much else right anyways, but that was the best of the. So I went to see The Flash. It was the worst movie <laughs> I have ever seen. It was get into uh, that. Tell me why. I, well, Ezra Miller plays the lead no. role, and he actually plays to make it even worse. He plays two roles, um, <laughs> and he's no Peter Sellers, and he is no Peter Sellers. No, he's not. Um, and so, uh, so it, it, it was it was awful acting. None of it was. It was it was. What's the word when when you when you're trying to portray emotions? And you way overdo it mm. to where they're not mm. believable Overacting. anymore. This was done the whole time. Yeah, over, I guess over. This was done the whole time. It was just this mishmash of meaningless uh, special effects. It was awful. And after, you know, and she, my, my mother looked at me about 10 or 15 minutes in, and I looked at her and I'm thinking, I wonder if she's thinking like me that we need just to walk out of here 
but I wouldn't want to say it in case she wanted to stay. You know, you get on the yeah. cycle. Well, it turns out that that's exactly why she looked at me 15 uh -oh. minutes in the movie because she really did. But you only found it out two hours later. She said, next time you take me to see me, we'll make a deal. <laughs> but it was, it was just so terrible. And I'm thinking uh, it had, it had fairly good reviews too. Was there any meaning to no. this movie? Okay. Okay. <laughs> no, there was no meaning. It was, well, they were trying to do about five different things and none of them worked. It was just very confused. They were going back in time and forward in time. And until the point where that became meaningless and, it was just awful. It was just awful. And I, I don't like seeing awful movies. I don't like spending my time doing this. So I really felt mm. badly about how I oh, used my time. we've taken up a bunch of people's time talking about the well, awful and, movie now. And you're not necessarily, like, you, you love action stories. And a lot of the action yeah. stories you read and talk about are not, like, the A-list action stories. Mm -hmm. So I don't necessarily think of you as, like, a, I mean, you are a prude, but not in that sense. <laughs> so I feel like you're, you're attacking this movie as a, a genuine condemnation. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I would, I would issue, I, I think I probably need to issue a written terms. one. Yeah. Now, now, um, because we're on the topic of condemnations, um, <laughs> I could probably get you going on the, the new Mary Poppins that came out several years ago, right? I did not see it because I heard about it. Oh, you never saw it. Right. Oh, I see. I could get going as much as Martin got going on the flash. I could get going on the well, new Mary Poppins. Instead, so. what, tell me a movie you've seen. Or okay. Seen. Last night. We, so my niece has been staying with us for a few days and for whatever, she had never really played Clue. Oh, and so she really wanted to play the board game Clue, so we played it. And uh, two nights ago, we played it, and we were going to sit down and watch the movie from right. 1985. Yep. And then all of a sudden, a big storm came through, and we had a flood in our basement. So we spent the no. next three to four hours cleaning out the basement. So then last night, my wife was like, "So, what would you like to do tonight?" And my niece goes, "Well, what we were planning on doing last night before we had the flood." It's okay. So we played Clue again. And uh, we teach her strategy. And then we sat down and watched the, the, a the classic film, the movie, which I had never seen. No. And what took me by surprise was three different endings. I've never seen a movie with three different endings. It was phenomenal. That would bother me. Yeah. It's not, it's a classic. I want My sister-in-law showed it to me for the first time a couple of years back. I can't say I loved it, but I know I, that it's a, it's a classic. I, after watching it now, granted, I was fairly tired when I got to the end and I was really having to pay attention to what was going on in the, explanation of who killed who but i at the end i thought i need to go back and rewatch mm. the whole thing again knowing having seen the ends and watch it much more carefully but it's funny can we talk uh, about movies fun. we want to see i feel like we need to get to our discussion <laughs> why so, uh, i want to see oppenheimer i'll just say that oh, yeah. so um i'll tell you briefly that on the on the plane back from my last trip I watched the movie Arrival. Have you, have you gentlemen seen I've this? I've just recently seen that. Yeah. That's the alien movie? Mm. I, I've, I've the watched filmmaker, several of the alien oh, movies. A lot about language, sure which, yes. The filmmaker, Denis Villeneuve, he's like one of my favorites. He's a, he's a real visual artist, but he tells really compelling stories. This is an adaptation of a Ted Chiang like novella, I guess. Um, and it kind of interacts with this, the Sapphire Wharf hypothesis in linguistics. They mentioned, I didn't remember they had mentioned it specifically. Yeah, in what, the, is what is that? So it's the idea that your mode of perception is altered by language. Like mm -hmm. the way that you talk mm -hmm. alters how you perceive things. Mm -hmm. But then I had forgotten just how the, the thematic uh, choice of the story that is to embrace life, even though you know you will suffer is the right choice is illustrated through kind of two thirds of the story, even though it's introduced at the beginning and then it comes back around at the end and lands the spaceship, as they say, um, to kind of <laughs> illustrate this this basic human 
reality. That so, you, so effectively, out of the three movies we've mentioned, yours had meaning. Yes, that's what I'm trying to say. Well, well okay, so I was trying to make sense of that movie. Okay, and I think I fell asleep when I tried to watch this movie. Is it yeah, fairly that slow? Help. Yeah, uh, on the Flash, right. it would have been a benefit. <laughs> but, you know. um, but, but uh, I, so I, I, I was paying attention to the lang- linguistic thing, and you know, they, they got to bring in because. It's not phonetic, apparently. It's ideogrammic, mm-hmm. you know, the, the mm-hmm. language they have, which they're showing each other in these signs and all this stuff. But in the end, it was like, and they finally get to the message, and it's like, why don't we all just get along? And I thought, oh, this is this is way too. Mark, you wanted the Chinese to actually attack the Americans. No, that's how I just, you wanted it to go. <laughs> no, it was just this. It was like the message of peace, and I thought, well, I want something more substantive after all this work I put into this. I, I do think that what he was trying to do. <laughs> If we, we need to get to our discussion. What I think I was trying to do is that the original hypothesis came out of an observation of a particular South American tribe mm-hmm. that didn't have words for time. Mm-hmm. And so the ways that they experienced their day seemed to be qualitative differently than a person mm-hmm. who has words like seconds, minutes. And so that's where the hypothesis came from. It's very debatable. And probably the majority opinion is that the Sapphire Worth hypothesis is not true. But the minority opinion suggests that there are ways that you can like with colors is an example of this. Like if, if you have a certain colors in your vocabulary, you can identify different shades that you wouldn't have if you didn't have those words. Mm-hmm. And so the, it's saying that these, these aliens have, they don't have time structures in their language and they have other structures that we don't have, which allows them to perceive all of time at the same time. And so the main character then is presented with the choice because she sees all of time, the end of her child's life and the beginning of it. She has the ability to choose whether she's going to like have that child or mm-hmm. not, knowing that she's going to die, mm-hmm. and so she chooses anyway. It's that human. It's the it's the human element of we all know we're going to suffer, mm-hmm. and is it worth it to choose life? And that's what the movie is trying to trying to say. And if we didn't have these, you know, where it, it probably is influenced by postmodern mm-hmm. readings, is that if we didn't have words for power and if we didn't frame our mm-hmm. existence with our neighbors as coercive then would we all be fighting it against each other all the time and all these things? Because my theory is that if we ever do meet aliens, that we will be so utterly different, we will not be able to communicate with each other at all. That's my, that's my theory, which remains to be uh, confirmed. But <laughs> Now let me transition from aliens <laughs> to the topic. I, I, just, I, I just need to, to say, here. <laughs> I need to say that I do not have an alien theory. Martin's got one apparently, I but I just, you know, just, <laughs> for some balance, it's okay not to have your own alien theory. If any of this makes it to (laughs) to the airwaves, it'll be really exciting. Here's the question for you, gentlemen. Are classical education and liberal arts education the same thing? Yes. No. Perfect. Yeah. (laughs) I thought moderate is going, oh yeah. So Martin, why yes? Because if you take them literally speaking, uh, well, first of all, we have an equivocation problem here. When when you say liberal arts, we use it in a technical sense in in the classical education movement to mean skills, linguistic and mathematical skills. Those are the the, the liberal. That's what the liberal arts are. But the common usage of it is to refer to the humanities, actually. Uh, English and history. When you say liberal arts major, you mean somebody who's took English or history or literature history uh, for the most part. So 
But really, if you mean either of those things, then you at least have a part of, uh, of classical education. I think in classical education, you have much more of an emphasis on systematic language study than, than, than probably a lot of the people who use liberal arts in its common sense now would, would, would even think about. I don't, I don't think they're really thinking about that. They're just thinking about literature and history are important. That's part of classical education. So I don't think they're inconsistent. Uh, but I, I do think that they're, they're not, they're not inconsistent. Paul, you felt like there, you needed to make some kind of distinction between liberal arts education and classical education. Yeah. I, th- I feel like Martin said they're the same thing and then made a distinction. Um, and so I, I would fairly well get on board with Martin said with what Martin said, like there's, they're not inconsistent, but I do think they're pointing to different things, right? So a classical education is going to encompass the liberal arts. Uh, I think whether you understand that term liberal arts to be sort of a medieval interpretation of that ancient medieval or modern, any way that we're, we're intending to use that word liberal arts, I think classical education encompasses that. But because because classical education is concerned with, as Martin put it, linguistic and mathematical skills, right? But the, a classical education as well is going to have a strong uh, feeling towards what content we're going to use in the way we're going to approach mathematical and linguistic skills and the way we're going to teach that. So Martin, it seems like historically the term classical education wasn't really used until this resurgence of what we call classical education today. Is that accurate? Or do you think people were calling education in the 19th, 18th century in these British and German oh, we know day they schools? Were. They were calling it classical education? That's, or what, they that's, what, that's what R.W. Livingston does. It's, it's all, this title of his book, the original title of his book. Oh, yeah, they're talking. When uh, did he write in, that? Uh, he wrote that in 1917. And you look in uh, Anna Karenina. There's a debate at the dinner there table is. in one of those scenes where they're, they're, they're arguing between modern education and classical education. So we know this. You know, classical meant... Greeks, the Greeks and Romans, the cultures of the Greeks and Romans. That's what it meant, and that was commonly used that way. And, and so this is one, an, another qualification I would throw in here, which is that uh, I think that a liberal arts education could, the way it's used now, mean you know going to a university, taking an English degree or taking a, a history degree, and I'll, there's a you know there's a lot of ideological influence in in these those kinds of departments now the 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 soft sciences some people call them um and and it would include that and it wouldn't have maybe not have any emphasis on the cultures of Greece and Rome whereas in classical education you know Homer is a lot more important than it would be in any English department obviously uh, Homer and and Virgil and and these older writers uh, because the purpose of classical education, which is, I think, a lot more broad term than liberal arts education is, is to pass on the, the that that culture of Greece and Rome and Jerusalem. Uh, that's what it is, and, and so that's that's going to be a little bit different from what somebody means by a liberal arts education. And 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 I would say, right, if you go back and you look at education in the Middle Ages, I don't think they're using the term classical education at that point. Mm-hmm. But but they are saying they want to teach the liberal arts. But those liberal arts are going to be taught through the teaching the culture of Greece and Rome, right? Christian mm-hmm. Christian the Christian West mm-hmm. 
is is going to be i mean they are going to be reading homer and virgil and you know the the church fathers and all those folks in in using that content as a way to master language and it's partly because the great emphasis of the middle ages was logic um and so you're dealing with philosophy there and you're not dealing as much with the older literature. I mean, Aquinas doesn't make any references to the Aeneid or Homer because he's concerned with, with more technical philosophical mm-hmm. questions. So I think that's, that is, you know, the, uh, the middle ages is, 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 uh, you know, what logic goes wild. That, that was their thing. So I think that's probably why, but the logic they were using was Aristotle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the reason this conversation has utility is because people nowadays are thinking there, there's two places where I think this conversation is helpful. One, people naming the thing that they're doing, mm-hmm. deciding what am I going to call my school? Do I mm-hmm. call it a classical school? Do I call it a Latin school? And then there, the other piece being as there are more and more resources within the so-called um, product that is classical education, how do I differentiate what I align with and what I don't align with? How would you help someone to navigate using those terms correctly? What do they highlight that's helpful? What do they, you know, not highlight? What do they, what is left unsaid if you're just calling your school a classical school or if you're looking for classical education companies? Uh, I mean, I would say that if if you say that you're a classical school, a, a fundamental question would be, therefore what are your goals in, in what you're teaching? Right. So if, if that school comes back and says, well, we want to teach the liberal arts by means of the Christian Western culture. Okay. Well then you've, you've got it all. If you, if you are are looking at, at something where they say, well, we're, we're teaching the liberal arts, then your question has to be, well, how, what do you what mean means? by liberal arts? Not, not necessarily, but what, what do you mean? But like, by what means, I mean, yeah, you do need to ask that. Or do you mean skills or do you just mean generally English and history? But if, if, if what you mean by that is really the skills, the linguistic and mathematical skills, okay, how are you going to teach that? And if you say, well, we're going to do that steeped in, in the classical tradition, then we're talking about the same thing. So kind of when you're, when you're piecing that apart, you need to say, okay, is by, but are you only, depending on which term they're using, you need to, you need to say, are, are you doing both? Or are you only doing one, right? Just the very fact that you call, if you just call yourself classical, does that mean that all you're going to do is study some Roman and Greek history and you're done? Or like, do you really have a driving force behind you that's going to make sure you're, you're going to be, that that student's going to master those linguistic and mathematical skills? And it seems like there's been some semantic slippage, even with the word, the adjective classical, in that when I say to people classical as in pertaining to the classical cultures, mm-hmm. people are like, Oh, I was thinking of this more, you know, robust virtue filled education. And they kind of go to the results of it before mm-hmm. they talk about the origins of it. Yeah. Well, and, and, and it also goes back to Martin's article, uh, was classical education is more than a method, mm-hmm. right? Because there are those folks that say, Oh, classical is, this is just a pedagogy. It's not, how you're teaching or what your goals are of teaching or anything like that. And so uh, it's, it's a lot to kind of piece apart. Mm-hmm. So we've spent a lot of time discussing Martin, the 
what the liberal arts education actually is on this show and other places. But what's the importance of having a definition for the liberal arts? I mean, it does seem like it's a moving target in some ways, because are we talking about how it was articulated in the middle ages, how people are articulating it now? What What's the value of burrowing down to a solid kind of, this is what we mean by liberal arts education. I think so that we can see what education is. I mean, that's why I keep saying over and over again, it's the arts and the sciences. If you can, if you can get that distinction of, of intellectual skills you need to know and, um, and bodies of systematic knowledge that you need to know, that's what education, that's that, that, that expression arts and sciences is a classical expression. And, and, and uh, one of the ways we know that is because it sounds so alien to us. We think art is painting and dance and all that stuff. That's not the way the, the ancients used it. If you go back and you read Aristotle, an art was, a, was an ability, a skill. And sciences weren't just the natural sciences. They were any body of organized knowledge, which included the humanities, uh, uh, literature, and history. And so it, it's just, to me, that's a way to show people, here's the two constituents of classical education. These were the methods that were used. The liberal arts, which were those skills which were linguistic and mathematical. There are no other. That's an exhaustive division. And um, and the different kinds of science, including the natural sciences, but also uh, the moral sciences and the theological sciences. The other thing I would say is, is when we say Western civilization, we mean it in, the, in a Christian sense because mm-hmm. that's what it is. That's what it was. Okay, we, the reason we have what the culture that was handed down since the since ancient times is because of the Christian Church, because there was this confrontation between Athens and Jerusalem, and the early Church Fathers worked it out. The Cappadocian Fathers in Constantinople in the East, uh, Augustine and some others in in Rome in the West, and they worked through this. And what do we do with the pagan learning? And they they. They realized that this was valuable stuff. It was truth that God gave natural man, and they were everybody's truths. And they were given a lot of intellectual gifts and discovered a lot of things. So we, we take that together, and there's, there's always some tension there. Um, and Jeffrey Hart says you should not even try to resolve that tension. The tension's good. The tension is the energy that drives Western civilization. Sounds so like Eric Zamander going on here. <laughs> anything, anything thereafter— is is fundamentally Christian. Any anything after that, the early early uh, uh, centuries of the church is essentially Christian and always was, um, up until modern times. So on that point, imagine someone comes to you and says, "I'm before I'm a citizen of the Western civilization. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You know, the city. I don't live in the city of of man. I live in the city of God. So I would rather start Christian schools than classical schools. Why are we spending putting so much energy into?" liberal arts education, classical education, and not Christian education. Well, because Christian education, Western civilization, classical education is Christian, fundamentally. That's why I have a problem with these. I don't have a problem, but I just, I noticed like some school slogan will say classical and Christian. Actually, when you say classical, it's it's already in there. You don't have to, it's not an additive. Um, uh, this this education was fundamentally Christian before that. It taught, it taught, um, uh, it taught truth it taught goodness and it taught beauty, uh, and those things come from God. And it taught about you know what human nature in the Christian view was. That's and it was trying to form students along those lines. So there, there, 
you know, there, there was no distinction between this divorce between Christian and classical. Go back and read the Puritans. Okay, we were thoroughly classical. And they're talking and they're appealing to the Greeks. They're appealing to the scriptures. They're appealing to all these things because they know how they work together. Even in Augustine, the city of God and the city of man overlap. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, yeah. they're intertwined. Yeah, and I mean, to me, the question, if, if you're going to try to start a Christian school that is not classical, right? That it's only identity is Christian. Okay. What content are you using to teach it? If it's purely the Bible, there's a whole lot more knowledge out there than, than we're going to get out of the Bible. And so are you going to teach phonetics through the Bible? Are you going to teach, you know, uh, how to, how to deal with literature purely through that one book? Or if you're not going to use the classics, what are you going to go get some postmodern, you know, young adult novels to read in middle school. Like that, that's, I think the, an argument to be made is you want to give challenging uh, works that have stood the test of time that have been part of the Christian tradition of education for 2000 years and, and have students confront the virtues and the vices and, 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 and use this rather than trying to cut ourselves off at the knees and say, well, everything that we stand on, we don't, we don't want to deal with that because we want it just to be Christian. Well, then what were the Christians doing 500 years ago? And and to me, the very fact that the new Testament is written in a classical language, Greek. And this is very important because when John uh, uses words like the logos, we, if you don't understand the Greek meaning of that word in the language that he's using, then you can't even understand that passage. You can't understand the Old Test, a lot of the Old Testament and the New Testament unless you know about history outside of what is presented to you in those books. You have to go outside that to, to really understand what's going on in that world at the time. You, have to under, you don't get the significance of, of Paul's Mars Hill discourse unless you know how Greeks think and you've got done some Greek, some study on the Greek mind, you don't understand the significance of a lot of what's going on there. Um, Paul certainly was, was classically educated. It's, it's evidenced all through his epistles. Um, so I want Paul's education. This is also for our grammar nerds out here. This is why in all of our publications, it says classical Christian education with no comma because mm. they, they mod- the classical oh, modifies yeah, the Christian yeah, yeah. education. But if you had a comma, they would only, they would modify separately. So, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> just throwing that detail to think there. about. <laughs> um, so the one thing that we haven't hit that I want to ask you guys about is that I, I noticed reading Cardinal John Henry Newman that he uses l- the phrase liberal education, and I think a lot of people use it this way today, really as a kind of a critique of mere vocational training. Mm -hmm. Where does that emphasis come from? And why why is that linked to liberal education? And could you equally link that to classical education? Why is he using that phrase in that way? I, this is kind of a stab at it that I I mean, I haven't really thought about this, but I think if Martin mentioned Tolstoy and Anna Karenina, the conversation between modern education and classical education. And I think the folks at that time, Livingston being another one, you know, Mm -hmm. shortly thereafter, who are trying to make the case for a classical education are seeing that the explicit goals of those that are endorsing a, a modern education was to, to prepare them for this world that's industrial. Right. And so the, the 
goal of the education is no longer to create a free thinking adult, right? A free thinking uh, human person, but one that is trained to think in a specific way, right? And so, you know, you, you put in X, Y, or Z and you're going to get A, B, and C out, right? Uh, and so I think Newman and folks like him were really hammering the idea of a liberal education saying, we want free thinking, liberal coming from the root to be free, right? And so it's, we want free thinking adults. This is what we're educating for. We are not educating to be for folks to be factory workers. You can have a free thinking adult work in a factory. I mean, this is the thing that blew my mind when I realized, I remember growing up and hearing about Henry Ford and how he, you know, was so great and revolutionized stuff. And then you realize that there were tons and tons of craftsmen out there who are very, who took pride in their work. And when Henry Ford came along and said, I just want you to make, do this one thing day after day after day. And they, they no longer were craftsmen. They were factory workers that he, he had, uh, he struggled mightily to keep people working for him because it was demeaning to them. Right. It, it, it was not, it, it did not fill their, their souls as, as a free thinking person would, would want. And so I think, I think people like Newman saw this coming and said, and just was was opting to just really focus on this idea of of the root of that word, right? Classical education doesn't doesn't it, it <clears throat> connote that just by the very nature of the words, whereas in liberal it does. Well, I do. You know, the coming of the industrial revolution is a big thing. You know, this happens in the middle of the nineteenth century, uh, and it's why Tolstoy and uh, Karenin, the Stolzoy's character, and, the, and I forget who the guest is who are debating this. It's why they're talking about this, because the Industrial Revolution has happened. Uh, this is also a theme in Dickens. And so I, I, I think people don't realize that, that vocationalism as, an, as, an, as a goal of schools does not even happen until the Industrial Revolution. This is a new thing mm-hmm. historically. It only happens in the late 19th century because uh, I think Tolstoy's writing what in the 1850s. Mm-hmm, I think so. Right. So I think that's after maybe the World's Fair in was it London with the Crystal Palace and where where it's the it's sort of the the inauguration of our acknowledgement that we are now a technological civilization that that was mm-hmm. a big thing back then. Um, and so I think I think I think Newman is just uh, he's having to use that word now because there's this other thing out there. Before that, there is no doubt about what education is for. But after the Industrial Revolution and people who start talking about vocational education as a purpose of schools, now it is. I think it would be broad, be accurate to say that classical education is the broader term and liberal arts is the narrower term. I would agree, I, I would with, agree that with that. Yeah. Well, I think that settles that. We've clarified <laughs> it for everyone. I'm sure we'll come back to this again and again, mm-hmm. you know, as... Because just in our daily lives, we you know we think about this. I mean, you you brought up this was something that was on your mind recently, and it it always it, it there's always more nuancing to do to help to help us ourselves and others kind of think about what do these terms actually mean. Yeah, hopefully, if someone's listening and they have other terms they're confused by, they'll tell us, mm. and we'll confuse them further. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Classical Etc. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you liked this episode, consider leaving us a positive review and sharing it with a friend. 
A huge thank you to the Memoria Press Podcast Network for hosting our show. Be sure to check out all the great podcasts there. As always, I'm Shane Saxon. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Memoria Press Podcast Network, providing a classical Christian perspective on the world of education. To learn more about Memoria Press, visit us at memoriapress.com. To connect with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.